Welcome to Credit Hour, a weekly thought-provoking conversation with the brightest minds from the University of South Dakota. They get the credit, we ask the questions. This is Credit Hour. On today's episode of Credit Hour, we speak with distinguished University of South Dakota alumna and former South Dakota Supreme Court Justice, Judy Meyer-Henry. How are you this morning? I'm doing well this morning, enjoying the sunshine. Well, we wanted to talk to you today um, about your life and career, um, but I guess just to get started, um, Justice Meyer-Henry, where did you grow up? I grew up on a farm in central South Dakota, um, south of Dallas, South Dakota, by Gregory. I, I went to high school in Gregory, and I actually went to a one-room schoolhouse. So all eight grades were in one-room schoolhouse, which was a half a mile from my home. And so, you know, did you kind of like education as, as a child? How would you have described yourself? I think so. Um, I love to read. And uh, I remember my mother used to get aggravated because I was supposed to be doing the dishes and I'd be had my nose in a book instead. But um, I, I did like, I've always liked education. I liked learning. I, I can't remember a time when I really didn't like that part of my life. You know, so I have to ask you, went to a one-room schoolhouse. What was your graduating um, class size? Well, actually, they closed the school um, the year after I graduated eighth grade because there just were not enough students left. And I think we only had... In all eight grades, we only had like five kids, um, five children, and I was the only one in my class at the time uh, that I graduated eighth grade. Over the years, <laughs> I had had some uh, other kids in my class, but I don't think I ever had more than about three people with my in my actual class. So you were a class of one then. Um, wh- where were yes, you graduate? Yes, I was a class of one. Where- <laughs> Where would you graduate high school then? I graduated in Gregory, South Dakota. Okay. And, high and so then what would lead you? You would attend um, USD for your undergrad, correct? Correct. And so what led you, I guess, you know, initially to USD? Well, my brother had gone there, and um, I had gone to some summer camps there and um, had stayed in the dorm and spent time on a campus. So I was just very familiar and and that was the reason I I guess I never had any other thoughts um, about another college at that time. USD was all intended to go. And so what what year would that have been? Um, I graduated high school in 62, so I, I started uh, the University of Dakota in the fall of 62. So what was, I guess, USD like back then? Well, um... This one was a smaller campus. We had I was a I was an English major. We had a lot of our um, classes in Old Main. Old Main still had it was open and and um, there were several classrooms there. Now is you know way when it was its original Old Main, and um, so you know that was kind of the center for me. Uh, there was a there was an old student union. Um, I was married, so we stayed in student housing, married student housing. But the dorms were, you know, Julian Hall was the dorm that for the boys, and 
it was uh, it wasn't as the, the, there weren't as many uh, buildings and it wasn't didn't seem as large I don't think as it is now. So what would you do then um, you know after your undergraduate experience at USD? Well, I had a, a teaching degree uh, with my major in English, and so uh, when my husband and I graduated, we I went to, he had a job in Omaha, and I got a job at Plattsmouth, Nebraska, and I taught freshman high school English at that time, and we were just down there a year, and then um, he, uh, Mark decided he wanted to go back to law school. I guess he had kind of had always had that in his mind. And so then we moved back to Vermilion um, a year later in, well, let's see, he graduated in 70, so that would have been 68, I guess, or 60, fall of 67, I suppose. So we were only out a year, and then we came back. And then I went and um, I actually went, I went to USD and got my master's degree. Uh, when we came back in the fall of 67. And I I worked on my master's, and I got it in a year and uh, summer. Um, so then the last two years of his law school, I taught freshman English at USD. And so then after um, you know, Mark finished law school, where would, where would you two move? Well, we ended when when he... We did a, um, I was, since I was teaching in college at USD, I kind of wanted to stay with that. And we ended up in Scotts Bluff, Nebraska. Uh, Mark and two of his law school classmates opened a law firm down there. And, um, and then I was teaching at a college down there, which was Hiram Scott College. It was back in the times when they had, all these small, private, for-profit colleges had kind of sprung up in the Midwest. And that was one of them, and it was in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. And shortly after we got there, um, about one semester into teaching, the they just ran out of money. And all of these private for-profit schools, a lot of them that had sprung up, just started closing. And Scottsbluff was one of them, Hiram Scott college was one of them. So then um, we ended up, because financially we just weren't ready to, I mean, there just wasn't the enough business uh, in Mark's law practice, and so we decided to come back to South Dakota. And that was when um, Mark took a job at on the, um, in legal aid in, on uh, Rosebud, and I ended up then teaching high school at the um, Todd County High School there in Mission. How many years would you do that? I did that three years. We were in we were on the reservation for three years. And so, is that when you decided that you wanted to transition into a legal career? I did. I had taught school overall about seven, eight years, and. I had, I just, um, I needed to do something, either go on for an advanced degree or um, it just hit me one day that, you know, why not go to law school? Um, I knew a lot of lawyers because of, of our friends that were lawyers over the years, and 
our mutual friends, Mark's friends that were lawyers. And so we just, it was just one of those things I thought, well, why not? And uh, Mark was very supportive of that. And then we ended up back in Vermilion. He opened a law practice there, and I went to law school. And that would have been the fall of 74. And then I graduated law school in 77. You know, I was but, 30 years old when I went back to law school. I, I guess um, it makes me laugh. I, I think about my own law school experience. I mean, what are the memories, I guess, that you think about from your law school experience? <laughs> well, you know, you indicated you were going to ask that, and I don't know that I have anything that really sticks out. You know, you remember when you think back in law school how the the fear you had when you started out because we had when 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 we started out law school um, I don't think we had any kind of practice tests or anything until the end of the semester or in the end of the year and so you were just petrified to figure out whether you were studying the right things and I don't know that I'll ever forget that and of course as you go through the the years, you figure it out, you know, you get through that first year, and it's like, okay, I think I get this now. And then by the time you're ready to graduate, you you know exactly what you have to do and, and what you have to study um, to get through. But I, I, you know, that's, I think that was my first, and then getting called on, you know, that was always, you know, it's like, oh, God, today I'm probably going to get called on in class. But, you know, I think that the fondness I have of, um, I was on law review, and I do like to write, and my English background, of course, I could use that um, as part of the law review, and I wrote articles, and then I was on the law review board. And I think that that was really a, that was really a fond memory that I have, the people I worked with in the law review, and just doing that, creating that um publication, and at that time, they called it, I was the footnote editor, I think they call it something else now, so I, I am the, um, the, I had, I had to, along with the, um, the head of the law review board, what do they call it, law review editor, we had to read all of the articles, and I remember we went to she and I both had gone to summer school that year, and we spent the whole summer reading out loud all of the law reviews, and that was back in the time before the computerization of them, so you would get the galleys, and you'd have all these paper uh, paper editions that you would, you know, the editing of paper, and so that was a, that's a memory that sticks out for me, and then I, I think, you know, just the... Uh, it was a good experience because I, you just feel, I don't think that there's, except for when I got my master's in English, there just wasn't, a, there wasn't another time before or since where you feel that you are learning so much. And there is a joy in that, I think. It's, it's an excitement that you are learning all these things that you had no idea how it worked. And that was, that's a very fond memory I have. And of course... The other thing are the professors you, that we had and and the fellow students. And I, it was it's a unique experience going to law school because you are with the same people for three years. <laughs> excuse me, st- 
studying the same things. And I think that there are very few professions where you really get to develop that camaraderie and know so many people in your class. And then, of course, if you go back, if you, if you stay in South Dakota, most of your classmates you see for the rest of your professional career. And you still fondly, um, they still have a special place in, in your life. You know, there are people that, you know, I still get to, you, when, when people refer to them, it's like, oh, yes, they were in my law school class. So it's, that, that's a very unique experience that, I, um, that I'm glad I had. You, know, you mentioned that the head of the law review um, was a woman. I'm, I'm curious, at that time, how many women were in your law school class? You know, we started in, um, in, in the fall of 74, <clears throat> and our class, I think we had 70-some, maybe, maybe 72. We, I know we started out with more, and we didn't end up with all of them, but um, we had that many in our class total, and then... <laughs> And, and I'm not sure that I can tell you exactly how many women started, but we always, when we get together, we always all kind of agree that we had about 20 women in law school uh, in our class. So 20 out of 70, that was a pretty good ratio. That was the largest group of women um, that had ever started in a law school class. And I always, thinking back on it, I guess I didn't pay attention to it at the time so much, but I think thinking back on it, um, it, was, it was a result of Title IX uh, that required the professional schools to open up and, and accept women. They couldn't discriminate because of race or, or sex. And uh, so that was kind of... I sort we all benefited from that because they needed to they needed to do that and then applied to higher education. So that was um, that was kind of the, the time when women started to not be closed out of professional schools and higher education. Did you, I guess, perceive any challenges um, in the legal field because you were a woman? You know, in law school, we did not. Um, I think it was, it just, it was never, I think because there were so many of us at the time, some of the classes ahead of us, I think the women had more challenges because there were one or two in each class, and they didn't have that, they didn't have the uh, the numbers. But in our class, or, you know, in, in the law school, I don't think any of us ever perceived that whatsoever, that there was an issue because we were women. Um, the editor of the law, of the law review was a woman. Uh, and, and we just, we didn't. I think it was after, it was, it was outside, and it was the, the legal profession, and we were the first kind of group that started hitting the legal profession, at least here in South Dakota, and I think other places as well. And so your, your um, institutions and your larger law firms had, did not have women in them, and they were not inclined to hire women. So I think that was, that was the, uh, the, those were the barriers. So a lot of women, when they got out um, in my era, ended up either 
opening their own law practices, going in with smaller firms that would take them in, or would end up um, in uh, government uh, positions, uh, federal government or state prosecute in the prosecutor's office, the public defender's office, things like that. So I think those were the, those were the challenges. Um, I, when I graduated, I went into law practice with my husband. So I, you know, I didn't, that was always kind of the plan anyway. But um, I know some of the others uh, faced some, some um, barriers. And we were kind of a, we were kind of a, novelty and in, in some respects we were practicing there in Vermillion and I remember there was a an older gentleman that was in a, one of the, the firms the long established firms in Vermillion and I was in court and I I was against he was defend, he was the I think I was the pro, I, I was representing it was a civil case and I was representing the plaintiff and I think he was representing the defendant and it came we came in the, the courtroom and of course, he didn't quite know what to do, and he pulled the chair out for me so I could sit at the council table. <laughs> Probably wouldn't see that much today. Um, and you wouldn't practice though with Mark for very long. It was only two or three years before you joined right. as public service, correct? Right. And um, he ran for attorney general, and we ended up at Pier. And so I ended up then. Um, Although I wanted to continue practice law, it was a little difficult because of peer being so small and there were a lot of conflicts of interest um, so that it, it prevented me from getting a couple positions that I probably would have pursued. But anyway, it worked out great. Our friend, um, Bill Janklow, that we've known since high, or in college, we met him. And he was in late. He was running legal aid when Mark first went to legal aid. So we were friends from way back. And he was the governor. And he asked me to um, to join uh, his administration. And so eventually, uh, he appointed me to the secretary as a secretary of labor. I did a couple other agencies before that, but then um, in. 1980, I uh, became the Secretary of Labor, and we did that for six. I did that for six years, I believe. Yeah, six years. And and you'd also serve as the State Secretary of Education, correct? Right. Jayco was going to combine the two for a while, and the Secretary of Education position was open, so he combined them both. And for 18 months, I was. Uh, the Secretary of Labor and Education. So, yes. <laughs> well, it, it it makes me laugh because I think about what that era in Pierre must have been like with Mark as Attorney General and and you obviously serving in the administration. Um, I I guess just to ask, I mean, what what was that time in Pierre like? What what do you remember from it? Well, it was really an exciting time. Um, these were the days when people really did not mind moving to Pier. And so there were the Pier was filled with a lot of younger people. Uh, we were, Jankel, I think, was one of the youngest governors, if not the youngest governor. Mark was young. We were all young people on the in the cabinet positions. So it was an exciting time. It was a it was a a very um, it was a very good group of people that 
what, you know, really believed they could get some things done. There was a lot of energy up there. It was fun working with the legislature. Uh, there were, you know, at that time there really were, um, it wasn't just um, Republicans in the legislature. There were some Democrats, and, and I mean, it was a little more um, balanced. And some very excellent, bright people were in the legislature. So it was, it was a lot of fun. I just remember just fun and enjoyment and excitement about the things that we got done and that we wanted to get done. It was a, it was a really good experience um, in Pier. And so then after Pier, you had moved to Sioux Falls, correct? Correct. And what would you do in Sioux Falls? Well, I took a job with, I didn't, um, I decided that I liked being an administrator, and at that time, wasn't quite sure what my next step would be. And I actually took a job with Citibank at, in senior management at Citibank. And that was the credit card operation. And the person who hired me was actually in charge of the IT department, which really was kind of its infancy in those days. And and um, I had a little bit of background, but not much in that. So that I he wanted me to set up the user services group at Citibank. And so I did that for the person in IT. And then I eventually ended up about three years later in the um, in a variety of places. But I ended up in the legal department. And then that was when I decided I was going to get back into the law and um, and either private practice or whatever. And then shortly thereafter, um, a position opened up here in the Second Circuit. One of the judges retired, and it left the position open. And uh, Governor Mickelson was the governor at that time, and he appointed me to that position. Uh, the circuit court judge. And then I was that for almost 15 years until I went on the Supreme Court. You know, you have obviously served in a lot of both public and private, you know, oriented positions. Was that intentional? Did like, did, did you know that you wanted to serve in a variety of capacities or is there like a different world in which you would have found just a law job and work that for, you know, 25 years as a, as a partner? Was, was it intentional that you wanted to do different things? It, it really was. I always used to say when I was younger, although I ended up spending most of my time on the bench in my career, but I always thought that I wanted to do as many different things as I could because I, I don't think you ever want to get to the point where uh, you get stale in a job. And I really liked education, but I knew it wasn't what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And um, and then when I left government, I loved government. I loved that position as well in tier, but then I ended up in the business and it was a, it was really a, um, it was an interesting and educational, um, um, experience for me, but it really wasn't, then, then I knew that that isn't what I wanted to do. And so that's when I ended up back in the law. Well, once I got on the bench, I love that from the paper. Every day, you know, I, I said it really was a dream job for me because I, I don't remember a day when I wasn't looking forward to going to work. 
And boy, there aren't many of us that get that chance to really enjoy what we're doing. And so I and I think having all these different experiences helped um, as a judge. You know, you I know it's you know if you have a lot of uh, legal experience, that's very good because you you had you know you know your way in and out of the courtroom. You've had a lot of different legal uh, background and and information. But there's also that if you have real-world experiences in other areas, that's not a bad um, training as well. So anyway, it worked for me. You know, after serving on the bench for so many years, are there any qualities that you kind of noticed that you thought made a good judge? Well, I think um, there's several. Not everybody has all of them. One of the things you have to be is a good listener. I think that, uh, you know, you listen to, that's what you do most of the time, is you're listening, um, especially on the on the trial court bench. You really are listening. You're listening to the arguments. You're listening to people's testimony. Um, you have to really be a good listener uh, to, to listen to what is being said and what's going on. And I think that's... Um, that's a good trait. I really do believe you need to be uh, intellectually curious about the law, about uh, people. I think you have to have empathy. Um, and, of course, I think what's really important, too, is that you keep a sense of who you are, and and uh, you're, you have to keep a sense of humor and not take yourself too seriously and in the in the legal profession, we call that you don't want to get the black robe syndrome. <laughs> you know, the only thing that makes you special is that you put on that black robe, and people will listen to you. And and uh, but it's still you underneath. And I think you got to re- keep remembering that. Yeah, I, not to ask too loaded of a question, but I think about this summer, and so much talk was, you know, based around things like criminal justice reform. As someone who dedicated, I think, a large portion of their life, right, to the criminal justice system, it, on a broader level, like, what did you make of of maybe some of the things that are happening with, like, criminal justice reform in the country right now? Well, I was on a, when they revised the criminal code, or the, the laws in the criminal code in South Dakota, well, this was, I think, under Governor Dugard. Um, can't remember the year. We were. I was on one. He, I was one of the judges that was kind of on an advisory capacity, and they had this big committee of made up of a variety of prosecutors, public defenders, or defense attorneys, sheriffs. Um, it was law enforcement, uh, other other uh, people in law enforcement, and things like that. But there were and there were a variety of people on there and they were looking at revising our criminal code, which hadn't been done for a long, a long time. And, uh, I think they did, they, they got a little ways in doing it. And then, you know, there were just some things that need to be cleaned up and some revision on maybe some of the penalties for some of the crimes that were on the books and whether that was appropriate compared to other penalties for crimes that maybe were different or were similar, but yet the punishments may be entirely different. Things like that they were looking at. And, of course, um, 
one of the issues was this ingesting, which was um, the committee, I think, actually came out, the, the original version was to do away with that and uh, either make it a misdemeanor or totally do away with it, I can't remember, but it ended up getting put back in. And uh, I think then what ha- happens is when you do these things and it makes sense to a variety of people and they can agree on it, then it gets back in the legislature and somebody complains to one of their local legislators and somebody gets, you know, get tough on crime mentality and all of a sudden some of these uh, draconian punishments and crimes come creeping back in. So that was, um, you know, every so often I think you got to dig it out and say, okay, is this really how society looks on this particular action? Should it be a crime? Is it, uh, is it being, is the punishment meek? Is a punishment uh, appropriate for that crime? Or does this need to be something else? And of course, um, there was this lock em up mentality there for a long time that everybody needed to go to jail. And, of course, as you know, um, a large percentage of the people in prisons have other issues, and one of them is, one of them is addiction, and, mental, and another one is mental illness. And we as a society haven't figured out how to treat that as without... Um, without these measures. And I think that the, uh, the movement in, um, and I think it's kind of, it's taken on, it's the, and it reflects society's thinking is that maybe the answer isn't the expensive lock them up with no treatment, but maybe it makes more sense to keep them in the communities, treat them, make them uh, productive citizens so they can maintain their jobs and feed their kids and try to get the treatment they need so that they can deal with their addictions and their mental illnesses. And I think that that, um, I would call that justice reform. And of course they've done that um, more so since I left the bench, but the drug courts, uh, courts, particularly for the veterans, I think they're doing in a couple areas. I think I think those are really positive uh, things that our society has looked at and understand that maybe there are better ways than just locking people up with no. I mean, they will get out, and you want them to be better people coming out than they were going in, and that can happen. I mean, that really can happen. And if you if you can if you can uh, treat their addictions or their mental illness or whatever their problems are without uh, the expense, and it costs a lot to run these prisons, um, then everybody wins. And and I think that society has moved more in that direction. And I think the the federal uh, system was even worse uh, as far as. Um, uh, jail time and mandatory sentences and the guidelines that the federal courts had to see, to deal with. You know, when you kind of reflect on your career on the bench, both as a circuit judge and then you served on the Supreme Court for eight years, is that correct? Nine years. Nine years. Are mm-hmm. there any cases that like still stick with you? 
on the Supreme Court. Hmm. You know, we did. I not that just pop out. I think the the ones that I enjoyed the most were the cases where you really had to dig into constitutional issues, uh, freedom of speech, those kinds of things that you don't deal with on a maybe a day to day basis. A lot of it is just reviewing whether or not uh, there were enough facts to support a verdict or discretionary kinds of things that you're reviewing or whether they applied the law appropriately. But I think the ones that I really um, spent a lot of time on and, and really enjoyed doing well was the research that, that you do on the Supreme Court, and particularly I think those constitutional issues that just sometimes aren't, you know, they, they really are sometimes few and far between um, on the state court level because a lot of those U.S. constitutional issues actually go into federal court and end up in the federal courts and work their way through. So those were the fun, to me, those were the fun uh, cases that that I remember just spending a lot of time on and being really uh, uh, taken with uh, researching all of the all of the background on some of the some of those issues. Justice Meyer Henry, I think by like any measure you would have, anyone would say you had like an incredibly successful professional career. What do you, I guess, view as like contributing to your success? Why do you think you were successful? Well, I think, um, I think I worked hard at everything. Um, and I, that was, that's always the advice I give young people. You know, you may have this job that you're not totally enamored with or whatever, and that you really have some ambitions to have to be some in another position someplace. But always remember, you need to give it 100% no matter what you're doing. And at the time, you may not see how that's going to help you down the road, but I will tell you that it will. And it's always amazing to me that some experiences you've had in a job that you really didn't know, you know, it's sort of like, well, what, what, where is this going? That it's, you learn things about people, about working hard, about how to work, things like that, that will come back to you later. And even things you've, you learned there uh, will apply somewhere in your future, and I can almost guarantee it. And so I think that I was uh, lucky enough, I think, to have um, uh, the intellect to be able to, to handle those jobs um, in the legal field. I really liked it. Um, I liked, I liked uh, teaching, too. I liked English. You know, literature and writing and so forth is a passion of mine as well. But so is law. And I think you need to like the people you're, you're around. And I always, yeah, I always did that, you know. And I, I love the lawyers. Um, I, was, I was fascinated by the litigants that would come in because everyone has their story and you see them sometimes in their worst, um, I mean, they are, they are not at their best, they're stressed, things have not gone right, they might be angry, they might be hurt. Um, and so, you know, I think that I, because I liked people and I liked the law and I worked hard, I think that that's a good combination. And if you, if you, if you don't like 
what you're doing. You know, you really have to look at yourself and see whether or not you're in the in the right area in the right field. And I was really lucky to to find those things that I was passionate about. You know, is there any advice specific to, you know, young women who are entering the legal profession that you would give them? Well, I think that there's the opportunities are really there now. I mean, there's still some glass ceilings that need to be broken, but they are they there are more and more women in the legal profession. I don't think people are I think people are um, accepting of that. Uh, they they'll there you you now have clients because you are a woman. You they will seek you out as opposed to not thinking a woman could be a lawyer. And I think those things have totally changed. Women are in positions um, where, they, where they can be successful. Uh, they can have a good life. They can make a lot of money if that's what they want to do and, uh, and, in, and have, a, have a very uh, successful uh, career in the law right now. Um, it, it isn't as, as much a good old boys club as it used to be years and years ago. And I think as more and more women get in the profession, they get in uh, positions of power, they are molding the law, um, they are active in the law, and uh, it's, a good, it's a good profession. It's a very honorable profession. Uh, it, it really is. I mean, I, of all, when you look around it, there aren't very many, there, there aren't, aren't many professions that are held to the high ethical standards that lawyers have to have when they enter this profession. And, and uh, you take an oath, you're held to it, and um, it's a good profession, and there's a lot of good people in it. You know, Justice Meyer Henry, I, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I, I have to just bring up, though, one of my favorite memories from law school was headed out to your place um, near Dallas. We did a moot court um I, I guess like writing retreat where we all came out, um, you know, to your ranch and you and um, your husband Mark uh, just kind of told the stories about your career and I just it always you know I think back on that memory and it was I think it's going to be one of my favorite memories from law school because I think it's was something that was unique and I just can't imagine there are many other law schools in the country that um, you know a former state attorney general and former. Uh, you know, state uh, Supreme Court justice would have invited, you know, 12 law students to come out for a farm and feed us the entire weekend and stuff like that. Um, you know, Mark told us all these stories about, um, you know, taking cases to the Supreme Court and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know, you know, Mark's obviously passed away this um, last summer. I, I, I don't want to twist your arm, but are there any stories about Mark that you could tell us? Well, he, he told so many stories that he didn't give the rest of us much of a chance to tell. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we we memorized we we pretty much memorized all of his um, all of his stories. He loved to tell stories, and he could tell them. He could make them interesting, and he could make them fun. And and uh, well, I don't know if there's anyone in particular, but you know, we I think we he he kept. I'll tell you this, he kept journals. And this is something that is just, it's, it's, uh, it's very much a gift for the family. And 
my one of my um, granddaughters is going worked with him this summer when he was still well enough to work with her, and she's going to pull. He he pulled a lot of his memoirs out and his clippings from Attorney General and just other things that he went through with her, and she took notes. They recorded it, and she wants to eventually um, write his mem finish his memoirs for him because he did start, but. He uh, he was a great storyteller, and he did it. He was he was better verbally, although he was a very good writer. But he could just get into a story and make it all come alive. And he <laughs> sometimes you'd think you've got to be exaggerating these stories, but he would he would call friends that were involved, and he said, "How do you remember that? Is this how you remember it?" And he, he was usually spot on. They agreed. Yeah, that's how it was. So he had a good he had a good memory for all those details and those stories and he and he repeated them and but he kept journals and I think that helped him because he would go back and kind of look at those journals and he would remember that but uh, we have volumes of journals that he kept on a regular basis and it's really a gift um, for the rest of us too I haven't gone back and read them all but I read I read bits and parts of the ones, particularly this last year, and it's it was just um, it's very meaningful, and that's kind of on a personal um, note for for him. But he also professionally, I think that's why he was good. He was a good trial lawyer. He loved the battle of the trial. He just that was his uh, in his DNA, and I think uh, his success was that he. He got so involved in it, he got so excited about it, and he could make it a story that would capture the attention of uh, of the juries, and he loved that part of it. Um, Justice Meyer Henry, thank you. I've got just one more question for you. Sorry to take up so much of your time, but you've obviously had uh, just... I, I, great life. I mean, I, you've had interesting positions. Um, you have a great family. You've mentioned, um, you know, your, your granddaughter. You've had children who have gone on to have successful legal careers and um, careers in other professional fields. Um, and so at this point in your life, as you sort of reflect back, what do you know for sure? You know, this year has been hard. <laughs> you don't know things for sure. I think, I think, um, I think, you know, if you try, you got to live your life as well as you can, wherever you are. I think somebody said that, and that's a quote. But it is, it is, um, it's true. I think you, you have to, you know, I was, I was lucky. I had a very loving parents, and, um, and I have, you know, I have good relationship with my siblings and with Mark's siblings. And family was very important. And I think for us, that was the number one thing. And it always has been. You know, family's first. And I think if there's anything I know for sure, it's that. Um, Justice Meyer Henry, thank you so much for the conversation this morning. Um, thank you also just for obviously all the work and service that you've provided South Dakota over the years. Um, and on a personal note, I just need to say thank you to you one more time. Uh, three, three or four years ago when I was 
just trying to debate, you know, whether I was going to go to law school. I remember getting the chance to interview you um, about your life and career for a written story that we were working on for the alumni magazine. And some of my trepidations was, you know, I was like 30 years old and I was like, man, am I too old to go to law school at this point in life? And I remember talking to you and you sort of sharing your story and talking about going to law school a little bit later in life. And I went, man, if Justice Meyer Henry can go to law school at 30 and have the career that she had, if I can have 5% of that success, maybe it'll all work out. And I just always remember that that was like one of those little signs that you get in life that kind of points to you in the right direction. And it was always meaningful to me and I've always remembered it. So um, just thank you for that. Well, and again, thank you, you for- You know, that's the, that's the other thing I know for sure too that things come along when you least expect it that really make a difference in your life. And it may be you come, you hit a time when you need something like that, and I have always believed and have faith that something will come along and help you, you know, nudge you through whatever it is, whether it's a decision, a tough time in your life, whatever it is, it seems like it has, you know, and I've been lucky, and that happens. And so I am happy that I could have been that to you, and I wish you the best of luck. No, no doubt, and I, I firmly believe in that, too. So thanks again.